welcome to another episode of the Baycare Clinic Podcast. My name is Alicia Schertz. I'll be your host for this episode. We're joined today by Dr. Jack Leschke of Baycare Clinic Neurological Surgeons. Experts estimate that nearly 80% of individuals will experience back pain at some point in their lives. Lower back pain is a common type of back pain and comes with a variety of causes, one of which is lumbar stenosis, which will be the focus of our conversation today. Dr. Leschke, thanks for joining us. Thanks a lot, Alicia. I appreciate the, the chance to talk with everyone. Absolutely. Well, why don't we go ahead and get started? As I mentioned, we're specifically talking about lumbar stenosis. Can you explain for everyone what that condition is? Yeah, no problem. You know, I, I do think that sometimes uh, in medicine we, we come up with a lot of different convoluted ways to, 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 to describe simple terms. But So I like to tell patients that Lumbar stenosis basically comes down to pressure on the nerves in your back. So there's basically the wear and tear of, of the discs and the bone and the joints, and there's inflammation, and it all adds up to cause uh, a pressure on all those nerves that are coming down from your spinal cord going down into your into your legs. And that... Uh, Oftentimes will will cause back pain, but it also causes leg pain. And there's a lot of there's a lot of kind of classic symptoms that come with that. And the one that I always really like to talk to patients about, and they always agree fervently. You know, of of course, yeah, these are the kinds of symptoms that I have. The the main one is is feeling better when you kind of bend over and flex, and the and that that means something like leaning forward on a grocery cart uh, at the store, so that there's um there's all all paths kind of leading to this pressure on the nerves that that causes a specific type of pain uh, that that tends to get better when you're when you're leaning forward and, and really worsens when you're walking so so a lot of these a lot of those types of things adding up yeah and you talked about it some people feel this pain sort of in their back, but can stenosis or or this condition occur in other areas as well? Yeah, you know, stenosis, kind of like I was alluding to, is um, is a general term to describe like a narrowing or a pressure. So the the stenosis in the lumbar region of the spine, that's just the that's the narrowing in the low back, pressing on the nerves. Uh, this type of problem can happen in the neck too, and that's an important job that we have sometimes in our our clinic because patients who have have that wear and tear that we're talking about that can that can happen in their neck and they might they might come in thinking that all their problems are in their back but we see evidence that something's going on in their neck and oftentimes the neck problems are something that needs to be dealt with sooner um, so it's just something to be uh, uh, to be aware of you know we're we are thinking about these things a lot of your doctors and practitioners will will know when to worry about about um, problems like stenosis in the lumbar spine or the cervical spine, but uh, a lot of times our role, too, is to help people feel reassured that there isn't something dangerous going on as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and you talked a little bit about it, but let's let's reiterate again some of those symptoms. Are, do everyone feel the same symptoms, or can these present differently in different patients, or what what have you found with your patients? Yeah, it's, it's kind of the... Um, it's definitely an interesting challenge in clinic trying to to tease some of this out because every patient is a little bit different. Not to mention every patient has 
uh, you know, a lot of a lot of different processes going on. They have different uh, anatomy and different body habitus. So um, that's why I like to really pin patients down on on those kinds of things. Like if you're walking for a prolonged period of time, does it does the pain in your back get bad? Does the pain shoot on your legs? And does that get better when you're at rest and when you sit down? You know, that's a that's a classic symptom for lumbar stenosis. Is it better when you lean forward at the grocery store on a on a cart? Uh, but sometimes you have to be thinking about other types of pain. Um, you know, certain patients have pain when they're just sitting in their car or when they're standing for long periods of time. And that would maybe push me away from thinking it's purely the stenosis and maybe it's more related to the uh, to the joints or even some um, what we would say is like a slippage or a, a instability in the in the low back. Uh, it's kind of a different conversation, but um, so long long story short, uh, every patient is different. But if we can kind of get these big categories of symptoms uh, under that umbrella. Um, then we feel confident that we could, that we can kind of go in that direction in our usual workup and treatments. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I want to talk a little bit about that too. So, when you're getting down to sort of the root causes of of lumbar stenosis, what are some of the are there risk factors that the particular patients might be more at risk for this condition, or what are some of the common causes that you see? I would say the biggest risk factor is. Uh, probably just age you know it's um it's a multifactorial type of problem and what i said before kind of a wear and tear and there can be some genetic reasons for it but there's nothing it's kind of just bad luck there's not much you can do about that women do have a sometimes uh on average a, a higher incidence of uh bone health issues so uh, these kinds of things can contribute Jobs sometimes people who work more in manual labor um, will have these will have problems with this. So um, uh, a lot of times it's it may surprise you the kinds of patients that come in. There's there are things that put you at risk, but um, uh, but yeah, I, like, I do like to tell people it's not their fault. You know, it's kind of some things adding up and kind of some bad luck on top of it. Yeah, absolutely. And and we've talked about it already today, too. But back pain is something that's so common. I mean, I think the experts we had mentioned is just it's 80% of people will experience some sort of back pain in their lifetime. How does someone or we as patients sort of recognize these symptoms as something more? And when does it become something that we need to see a doctor for? Yeah, most just like there's so many... Um, so many patients that will have back pain in their life. We do know that the vast, vast majority of these are going to be musculoskeletal, meaning it's coming from the muscle and the bone in a non-serious way, and it gets better with time eventually. And um, and the medical establishment knows that as well. And so there there is a very high threshold initially to kind of just treat things conservatively, uh, unless there's any, unless there's a significant duration of symptoms or if there's clear neurologic signs or symptoms. And by that, I mean clear changes like weakness or numbness or tingling in your legs or especially something like loss of bladder or bowel that's progressive uh, in the neck. You know, it'll be arm 
weakness or coordination difficulties, problems walking. Um, the reality is, is that that lumbar stenosis and any neurosurgical problem, we we're, we're really wanting to avoid doing any kind of surgery uh, unless we really have to. So when you go to see a, a doctor, they're usually going to take take their time with conservative treatments. Usually a lot of these things have been done before anyone even comes to see a neurosurgeon, even before you get an MRI, for example. Uh-huh. Um, uh, a lot of times there's there's a handful of uh, steps you have to go through because because we just know from the from studies and working with patients that most people, if you give it some time, you do okay, and you don't need to kind of um, go down that that route. But um, uh, yeah, be, patients should be vigilant about neurologic symptoms in particular because that's what that's kind of a game changing type of uh, situation for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And you kind of segued right into what I wanted to talk about next. So. Um, if someone comes in with back pain, how do you go about diagnosing? You had talked about some of the questions that you might ask, that kind of thing. Once you've determined that maybe lumbar stenosis is what they're dealing with, what is your course of action at that point? Yeah, I mean, I do think that the the um, the reality is that you never really know until you get all the get all the data. Mm-hmm. And so even if their story and kind of their physical exam lines up with this as a possibility, um, you do need to have imaging. And a lot of times imaging is obtained before they even come to see a neurosurgeon in clinic. But we also have a responsibility to make sure we're not missing some alternative diagnosis that that isn't just clouded by the fact that their MRI looks a little bit um, abnormal as well. So because there is a, there is a significant percentage of patients that have some radiographic evidence, meaning their MRI shows um, lumbar stenosis, but they may not have symptoms, or maybe their symptoms are caused by some other process entirely. So um, it's just being careful. It's getting MRI uh, imaging. It's getting, sometimes we'll get x-rays to see if the bones are moving when you're flexing and extending. Sometimes it's getting needle studies to see what the electrical activity is like and connecting the nerves and the muscles and the the lower extremities and and, uh, just being careful about that. Absolutely. So what treatment options are available to patients? I mean, obviously, if people are living with this, what can you do to help them? Yeah, I've I've kind of developed a sort of a, a speech with patients because because it can be very discouraging, I think, at times for patients because there's a clear problem and it's affecting their life. And there's, uh, and we just truly don't have the best tools to deal deal with it all the time. We have plenty of tools, but but I say that it's it's pretty all or nothing, right? We have uh, we have a fair amount of conservative treatments. You can take medications. You can work with the therapists and the chiropractors. And you can even get uh, some injections to control the pain and try to control the inflammation. And then way on the other side of things is is surgery. And um, and there's a lot of there's a lot of kind of gray area in the middle there. And there isn't um, there's a lot of there's a lot of discomfort and a lot of pain for patients that, in our view, doesn't rise to the level of severity where where surgery. Um, 
where we feel confident that surgery can be helpful. Um, so uh, that ends up being kind of my my approach. But but when patients have when patients have lumbar stenosis and they've gone through the ringer and they've gotten all these they've gotten all these treatments and things aren't getting better and, and especially if they're getting worse. Um, for a subset of these patients, surgery is a fantastic option. And I do see a lot of these patients that get to that point and they come to our clinic and and they're pretty desperate and, and if we can take the pressure off them. And, and uh, like I was saying before, it's a, sometimes neurosurgery is complicated, but in these situations, it's pretty straightforward. You just you need to take some of that bone and some of that ligament off the back. And it's kind of like a shingling. And uh, and give the nerves some room to breathe. It, it uh, uh, patients can feel fantastic pretty quickly, and um, so but it has to be the right time at the right situation for the right for the right patient. So um, that's kind of our approach. And, and like I've said, but want to emphasize, we we really don't want to do surgery unless it's absolutely the right thing, and and that's kind of our philosophy uh-huh. uh, in our group. So. Fantastic. So, what does that surgery look like? Is that a is that a in office procedure? How do they do that? What does that surgery look like? And what is recovery time like for those patients who do end up needing that surgery? Yeah, most of the time it's a it's a straightforward um, uh, it's a straightforward what we call a laminectomy, and that's a same day surgery usually. Uh, and there's some caveats to that, but. Usually, it's, a, you know, it's using an X-ray to prove that you're exactly at the right spot. It's making a small, few centimeter incision right in the midline of the back. It's going down and clearing the muscle out of the way and removing some of the bone over the top of the nerves, and then closing it up and waking up with anesthesia and making sure you're doing okay, and then sending you home. Um, there's if patients have that slippage that I was talking about or movement of the bone when they're flexing and extending, sometimes we have to do a fusion so that the surgery doesn't make things worse in terms of pain and movement of the bone. So that's that's more involved and that requires the, the kind of famous screws and rods to hold things in place. But um, we like to avoid those if we can as well. So uh, I personally get a lot of flexion extension x-rays where we were really scrutinizing whether or not that kind of a more aggressive surgery is needed. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk a little bit about and sort of back up here a little bit, talk a little bit about your experience. Mm-hmm. You've obviously been doing this a long time. You've seen a lot of cases. Talk a little bit about um, what makes you sort of uniquely qualified to kind of make those decisions in, in, in a case by case basis. Yeah. Well, um, uh, a few things. I mean, I think that um, I think I'm, Strangely enough, I think just because of my stubbornness, uh, I'm unique in neurosurgery just because I have two board certifications. I was a neurologist before neurosurgery, so there's I don't think there are that many people who were as um, wanted to torture themselves as much as I, as I did with the training. So I, I have some insight into some of the things that can that can mimic kind of the typical neurosurgical problems, and so I, I can be really careful about the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also published some papers and did a big review paper on, on lumbar stenosis. And um, it's just an interesting conver- conversation to be had, but I've, I've spent extra time kind of 
scrutinizing kind of the history and, and what's, what's been done for patients with lumbar stenosis in the past and what's being offered, um, uh, currently and, and what's the most helpful. And I, I do end up telling patients, uh, with a, you know, with all sincerity that, uh, I like to think about what I would, what I would do if I was in their shoes or, or if my family was in their shoes. And, uh, and that's, so that's tied into the surgery decision-making that you don't want to have, you really don't want surgery unless you need it, like I've said. So and you really don't want a fusion unless you need it. So yeah, I, I think you put that all together and wanting to just help people get back to their, get back to their life and the things they enjoy, then, um, it, it all ends up, uh, um, being a, a good combination. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think you segued perfectly into it because I do want to talk a little bit about sort of what daily living is like for these patients after treatment. So whether that be conservative treatments or, or surgery, is this a lifelong condition that they're going to have to, you know, keep monitoring and those kinds of things? Usually pa- patients will take two to six weeks to potentially, uh, feel um, feel back to normal completely, but a lot of times they're they since you have the pressure off that pressure off those nerves, they they bounce back pretty quickly. And and I had just had a patient who um, uh, I shouldn't say too much, but but basically within a month after the surgery for this exact problem was was on vacation walking 10 to 20 miles a day uh, out west. And and so these, there's some really dramatic uh, turnarounds. So um, uh, there is the possibility that perhaps uh, it could cause strain on adjacent levels. So I wouldn't want patients to ignore any new symptoms that come up, but, Mm -hmm. uh, but we don't tend to hear back from very many of the, patients who undergo surgery because if you if you're careful about selecting for the right patients, the ones who we know can actually do well with the surgeries, then then a lot of them do very well. Excellent. So if I am a patient experiencing lower back pain, what should my course of action be? What do you suggest? Yeah, um, I would say don't worry too much. It's probably not a. It's probably not going to be some major disaster, but but keep an eye out for um, those big symptoms. You know, like if you have a, if you're if you're noticing you're not walking as well, or if you are uh, feeling numbness or tingling that isn't going away, or or if the pain is just so bad you can't live your you can't live your daily life. Um, then I think I think that's the time you go and you go and see uh, someone. You go see a doctor or a, or a provider. You know, on your own, you can certainly be taking medications as prescribed. You know, ibuprofens and Tylenols. Um, but it's probably good to be talking to someone sooner rather than later if um, if pain is going on for more than a week or two, and uh, and just make sure things aren't going in the wrong direction and if we need to plug you into more 
uh, additional options for conservative treatment. But um, we're we're always happy, and I'm happy to to be a resource to anyone as well. And our our team is, and we want to have an open an open door policy because you know we we take for granted kind of the 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 expertise we have uh-huh. and uh even making decisions about when to get imaging and things like that so um always happy to talk to people and see patients and and um but a lot of times we offer reassurance and and um and that's okay yeah absolutely and so do patients need a referral to come and see you or your colleagues or can they just uh call and request an appointment Oh, they should. Uh, I don't want to speak for my partners, but I'm pretty sure you can come come and see us without a referral, and you can call. And I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, I speak for myself at least, <laughs> and uh, I'm more than happy to see people if they if they want to come and see me, and I and we can kind of go through anything and everything, and um, and I view that as my kind of my job and my trade and and uh, happy to do it. Excellent. Thanks so much for spending some time with us today. Is there anything else that you want to add? I think that's it. Those are kind of my big, my big themes that uh, we want to treat you like, uh, treat you like family and and do the right thing. And, and, uh, and uh, a lot of it comes down to, a lot of it comes down to what the patient wants. You know, some of these, back pain problems, uh, especially lumbar stenosis, it's, you don't have to do anything if it's, if just because you find it on an MRI. So a lot of it comes down to a conversation with the patient saying, how much is this bothering you? Is it worth, you know, doing these procedures or doing this, these interventions or, or a surgery even, uh, is it bad enough or is it something you can live with? And, and, um, and, but everything is on the table and I've, I've had, uh, vigorous older patients who, who, um, I kind of see their age and I say, maybe, maybe we shouldn't be thinking about surgery, but then I hear their story and, and we can do a small, a small surgery to take the pressure off and get them back walking and doing the things they like to do, uh, and have a lot of quality of life and, um, and kind of vice versa where this patients you think they're going to be a slam dunk for surgery based on how their MRI looks, but, but they're totally content kind of being more sedentary and they're not, their life isn't that affected. So it's like, well, we don't need to rush in there. So, um, uh, just encouraging patients to ask questions and kind of take control of their, their healthcare. And, and, uh, like I said, make it a conversation with your doctors and, and we're happy to help with that. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. We really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Again, Dr. Jack Lashke is a neurological surgeon with BayCare Clinic Neurological Surgeons. To request an appointment, visit baycare.net. And please stay tuned for more episodes of the BayCare Clinic podcast. Thank you for listening. <laughs>